Hello and welcome to Sidewalk Monastery. I'm Kelly Tag. My um, pronouns are he, him. Yes, that's right. Uh, we haven't done that for a while and I'm so glad we're doing that. I'm Marky Oliver and I use she, her. And You know, we didn't get the timing on that right, but hey. It, it, it's okay. It's the way it is. That's and the way conversation works. That's exactly right. What's interesting about today, compared to our previous episodes, is that we're in a church. In fact, we're in a choir room because of the sound is so good in this room compared to the kitchen that we were going to be in. Um, previous weeks, we have been in a coffee shop in their vault because it used to be a bank. And we said we we're going to go out and be among everybody and go places and do things. So today, we're in a church downtown Muncie, Grace Episcopal, and they have a commercial kitchen, which is awesome little kitchen. Um, but like I said, we, we had to move to the choir room for uh, sound purposes, but I guess you all get the picture of where we're at, what we're doing today. Kelly, what, who, who is it that's with us today? Uh, we are talking to Morgan Roddy. Uh, she is the queer chocolatier. Uh, that is the business that she runs. She is also a uh, very important uh, member of the community here in Muncie. Her and uh, her wife, Sherry, uh, they're amazing. Uh, Sherry, interestingly enough, Sherry actually met, how I technically met Morgan was that Sherry interviewed me for the uh, uh, the facing project. Mm. Uh, and then I, I kind of got to know Morgan via that. Um, and Morgan's an amazing human being. Uh, one of the amazing people that makes up this community. Um, and... What we're going to do today is we're going to listen to Morgan's story. Uh, she's going to share with us whatever she would feel that she feels led to share. Um, so, so Morgan, away, Morgan, Morgan what, what is yeah. your story? Uh, well, my name is Morgan and I use she, her pronouns. And I really just kind of want to keep sitting here listening how amazing I am. So I don't know if I have a story to tell, in fact. Uh, well, you got great chocolate. That's all I need to know. I mean, those truffles, though. Those truffles, oh though, right? They oh. are they are trouble. Um, no, thank you both for uh, asking me to join you today. And I'm very glad to uh, sit down and talk with anybody who sits long enough to listen to me until they get up and walk away. And then I follow a couple steps. And then, oh, no, you're done. Okay, I'm fine. Um, That's so, so fair. Everybody here is sitting down, so it sounds like I got everybody buckled in for a little while. <laughs> um, you know, and I think about my story, and you know, we all have chapters in our story, and I feel at this point in time, I'm actually coming to the end of a chapter, and it may be the end of Queer Chocolatier on the Horizon, which is challenging and uh, brutal and emotional, and you know, if I belabor it, I will cry. Mm -hmm. But it's it's part of the cycle of life, and I think as I lead up to the end of this chapter, I'll tell you a little bit of the preceding chapters about me, so you can get to know me a little bit more and see maybe mm -hmm. why even more it's more emotional than than mm -hmm. maybe just on the surface. Um, I'm from. Indiana. I'm from just south of Indianapolis, a town called Mooresville, and um, I born and raised Hoosier. I'm very proud to be a Hoosier, especially proud to be a queer Hoosier because it's really hard to be queer in Indiana sometimes. Mm -hmm. But we have exactly. really good community, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I think we're scrappy, and I think anybody who is out and queer in the Midwest or in any other places of the country that's hostile, uh, I think you have tremendous courage and. We stand in solidarity with you every day, and what you do by just existing matters more than you'll ever know. 
And so, um, you know, like I say, I grew up in just south of Indianapolis, um, and I was raised by a single mom, never knew my dad. I even don't really quite know how much she knew my dad. Uh, she went out to California when she was 18 and came back pregnant, and I was mm-hmm. born in Indianapolis, and uh, there was no, no conversation about it, no real understanding. Um, she's the middle child of three, so my Uncle Jim is the oldest, then my mom Kathy, my Aunt Linda, who's also queer, and then me, Morgan, which is kind of great because it's J-K-L-M, so we're all alphabetical. So I used to say if I ever had a kid, I had to name it like Natalie or something just to keep that going. And, um, but then, um, so my grandparents, my mom's parents, uh, Dorothy and Richard, they basically served as like my surrogate parents in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. And family's complicated and uh, gets messy. And uh, my uncle... Being the oldest, he kind of left uh, the house early, and I don't really have a whole lot of memory of him or long, uh, you know, a deep relationship with him. Um, and then my mom and I are currently estranged, and this is my estrangement, not hers. And uh, my aunt and I have a pretty decent relationship. She's only 16 years older than me, right? So mm-hmm. her being the baby. Mm-hmm. So many times with my grandparents mm-hmm. kind of being our you know, parents, I was either the only child of my mom or the youngest of four kids, depending on those perspectives, right? So people tend to think I'm very spoiled in that regard, and it is what it is. Um, but my grandparents divorced when I was young. I think I was about three when they divorced. And so I grew up in a house where uh, when they divorced, my grandpa moved out, my grandma was in the house, and at some point she sold the house to him, so he moved back in and she moved out, and I just thought it was my house as a kid growing up, right? I just My house, and people are just coming and going. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I was never raised in a church. Uh, I use the term loosely, I'm unchurched. I never went to church and left a church. Um, so in some ways, that kind of isolates me from a lot of queer folk who have religious trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So I sometimes, I, I sympathize with what they're going through, but I know I've not been harmed in this way, so I don't have that real-life experience where I can empathize in a direct way. But um, I did go to a Catholic college. I went to um, Marion College, and it was college when I was there both times. Uh, now it's Marion University on the west side of Indianapolis. So that was my Franciscan introduction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even though I never was religious, I really found uh, a strong kinship with folks that have Franciscan values that guide their life. Um, and it's actually where, in some ways, I was awakened to social strife outside of myself and environmental strife outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was that Franciscan education at Marion that really. Um, probably awakened me to become, you know, if you want to say a social justice warrior, I guess you could. And yeah. I, I wear it with a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, so I got my um, bachelor's degree in fine art because I thought I was going to be an art teacher. I uh, did not like my art teacher in high school. And I thought <laughs> the way the world works is you identify a job, you go out and get the degree, and you come back and you get the job. And I thought, I don't like this art teacher. I'm going to go get my art education degree, and I'm going to come back and take his job. That's how I thought the world was. I'm going to be better at it then. I'm going to be better at it. So I guess you could say I've always been competitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, But I got my art degree, not the art education part. The education part was going to take me longer than what my Pell Grants would have been able to finance for my degree. So after getting my art degree, I... Uh, was kind of wandering job to job for two years until I became a stockbroker. 
So I was a stockbroker for a period of time with my art degree. (laughs) I was a stockbroker for four years, three months, 27 days, and four and a half hours. (laughs) That seems awfully specific for a reason, I'm sure. I I sure did quit midship. So there there was this little old lady that I would talk to on a regular basis, and the type of job I had was a dialer rep. So 1 800 you get anybody that happened to be available on the phone. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a book. I wasn't a type of stockbroker where I took care of a book of clients. I was kind of a uh, advanced customer service kind of role. But there was a woman who had been recently widowed, and she inherited a bunch of you know portfolios from her late husband, and she was from Tennessee, and she was just distraught. And I took a kinship to her, and I told her, this was my direct number, call me anytime, and I'll walk you through these processes. And we developed a friendship over the couple of years that I had been talking with her. And I, towards the end of my time at, um, at my career as a stockbroker, I did return to Marion College to get a sociology degree. So I started getting very curious about the world. I started to think really more critically about a number of things, and I wanted to get some formal education around that so that I could potentially make some more of a impact on the world. And <clears throat> I was coming back from a alternative spring break where we went to Los Angeles and did a lot of service work with um, Phoenix House and Venice Beach and Skid Row and Schools on Wheels and a variety of other social organizations that just kept making me think, I don't want to go back home and be a stockbroker for people who have millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be working mm-hmm. in a different capacity. So what was going to be my last day, uh, I walked in and my manager was in a meeting, so I couldn't submit my termination at that time. So I just called that client and talked to her for a little while. And <laughs> then I saw him coming down the hall. I'm like, well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go quit my job now. <laughs> I just got <laughs> off the phone and, <laughs> and put in my termination and, and walked out. Um, so that's why it was oddly specific, right? Because yeah. I just spent yeah, a really number, number of hours chit-chatting with my, my friend there for a while and then mm-hmm. called it quits. Um, but uh, my sociology education is what really formalized my passion for food. Um, I consider myself a foodie, but it's late in life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I grew up with my mom, uh, food did not come to me either through a window that you drove up to or a box or a can or a bag. So, I mean, no home-cooked meals. Mm. I didn't know. I don't think I was under the age of 20 when I had my first zucchini. Like, mm. just like some fresh mm. vegetables I never really had. And mm. so when I went on my own as an adult, um, I started learning a little bit more about food just because I'm not living in a dorm anymore. And then being a broker, you go out to dinner with people, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, what kind of food is this? And start getting a little bit more curious. Um, and so... I, I Well, the chocolate story, you know, I, I made truffles uh, once in 2004 and got hooked on making them after that as a creative outlet. It was a way for me to start expressing art in a different way. And then mm-hmm. from, from that became, you know, other desserts and other foods. And then I thought, oh, where's my food coming from? I'm going to study sociology to learn more about this. So I went to Marion College, got my sociology degree, and then I came to Ball State to get my master's in sociology which is where I met my wife, Sherry. And my master's thesis was, um, how do farmers market managers and vendors make the decision to accept WIC or SNAP benefits? Because it has to be, they have to opt in. So what is their decision-making process to do so? Mm-hmm. And markets that do not opt in uh, from my thesis, which was qualitative, so we can't draw a lot of conclusions from it. That's my do sociology uh, mm-hmm. statement there. 
But in my study, a lot of them just simply didn't know you could. A lot of the market managers were part-time employees mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what have you. But there was one market in particular in a very affluent area of our state who was adamant to not opt in because they did not want to be held responsible if somebody should steal a head of cabbage. And I thought, well, that just seems obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. bit elitist, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is that. And because... Um, we had that struggle here in Muncie Absolutely. of getting uh, vendors at our farmer's market to do that. And, and it, you know, it took a lot of work mm -hmm. and a couple of people who were working on that really had to spend a lot of time just convincing them that this was a good thing. But yep. because years of going there on Saturdays, what you saw was there, there was a certain group of people who came mm -hmm. and that's the group that they only wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, you know, it's where the you know the bus routes are nearby, yep. and the bus schedule is off on Saturdays oh, yeah. anyway. Yep. And so let's have it someplace away from downtown. Yep. You know where there's less parking, and I mean there's all kinds of things they would tell you about the place why it was so good, yeah. but. Yeah, it's a nice place. Sure. Yeah, but it's not serving it's an not, essential need, right? That's right. It well, it's not providing people. the fresh food and the, the the more whole foods for people that need it probably yeah. the most. Right. Because your average person that can afford to go to a for that goes to a farmer's market can also go to the grocery store or yeah. go to a, you know, Trader Joe's or something of mm -hmm. that nature mm -hmm. and afford it. Yeah. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, like I think of the one in Yorktown. The one in Yorktown is in Morrow's Meadow. Right. Well, there's no bus routes. There's no even poor housing near that area. Yeah. yeah. So and it's like there doesn't ever have to be a wall or a fence or a moat that creates a barrier to farmers markets. It's all social barriers. Mm -hmm. And Very much so. that that becomes a significant challenge for communities in Muncie and all throughout the state and the country because we have um, we have enough food for everybody to be fed. Like mm -hmm. there's no there's no doubt yeah. about that. It's now about access, and mm -hmm. access is about politics and mm -hmm. decisions you make within your communities and who deserves good food and who doesn't. And those decisions are made actually pretty consciously. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did that kind of research when I was my uh, master's student at Ball State, and I went to Penn State uh, for a year. I dropped out um, to study rural sociology and uh, demography as a dual doctoral degree. My concentration was sociology of food and agriculture, mm -hmm. so I kept pursuing this this line of questioning, and then uh, Pennsylvania just tried to kill me. Like I was so sick, <laughs> vitamin D deficient, oh, bronchitis, yes. allergies. Oh. But this is my first time as you know, essentially as an adult, um, leaving the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. So I was 32, turning 33 during that school year, and it was just, it was kind of tough, like leaving the nest in that regard as an older person, but. I'm glad I did because it got me out of, you know, mm -hmm. um, the space where I only knew certain things. And from Pennsylvania, I went to Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. as one does, I suppose. <laughs> I, moved, I moved to Austin, Texas in July. And then jumping forward, I moved with my wife to Minnesota in January. So I clearly do not know how to move to states That's at the right time. Yeah, the those are done. pretty bad times to move to those if two I places. If I flipped yeah. that, it'd be so much better. <laughs> but it was, it was wretched, I'll tell you. Um, but it was, it was interesting to me moving to Texas because um, I really found that my expertise was not as needed there in the sense that in Austin, food is plentiful and it's cheap. 
uh, and people can access it on street corners and you know even gas stations have lots of food varieties especially multicultural food varieties you'll see all sorts of bodegas everywhere you go the problem in Austin is housing Mm-hmm. And yeah. while there is certainly some overlap to those same issues and, and the fact that they're both basic human needs, I didn't have the tools to really effectively um, make any change or contribute to that in a, an effective way. Um, so in, in Austin, I felt um, less socially involved, even though I was a part of a community garden that got started. Um, and I was with the Department of Agriculture for the state of Texas for a while, too. So that was... Those were some interesting experiences I got, and living in Texas and, and seeing uh, a wide range of people that I did not ever see in Indiana mm-hmm. uh, certainly helped um, make an impact on who I am and still how I see the world. Um, but when I came back to Indiana from Texas is when I reconnected with Sherry, and it had been three years since we had graduated with our master's degrees, um, and she had since divorced, and she had come out. And I was in the end of a bad relationship, and um, we reconnected, and it wasn't something that we had intended to, to like, see each other in any mm-hmm. particular way as a friendship that just kind of rekindled and then expanded. Um, but she was also on her way to Minnesota, and so she wasn't really in it for a long <laughs> haul, and I was trying to be as convincing as I could. I'm like, are you sure? Uh, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Minnesota. Bye. <laughs> Have you been to Minnesota in January? I know. And that so I was like, well, you've sold me. <laughs> I remember moving. Uh, I had my proverbial U-Haul moving up to Minnesota. I <laughs> and I, I was like pulling up on snowbanks so I could oh. unload. So, yeah, that yeah. was, I mean, you know, what you do for love, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. But well, we, there's a pretty active... Uh, queer community there mm-hmm. and art community. Yes, uh, it's just a really M- Minneapolis, St. Paul is just vibrant. a really mm-hmm. yeah. It's very, a fairly vibrant city. It's a great, great metro yeah. area. I really liked mm-hmm. being there when I visited there. And Sherry really is drawn to return there at some point in in her near future. And she, her impetus to go there one with that queer community. I mean, it is very mm-hmm. very vibrant. St. Paul is particularly um, a good location for queer women. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Twin Cities Pride, I think, is like in like the top three, certainly top five of like largest Pride hmm. celebrations mm-hmm. in the country outside nice. of New York and San Francisco. Um, and we lived <laughs> in a quote unquote historic apartment. Read that as dilapidated. <laughs> um, uh, we were on the fourth floor of a four-story building that had no elevator, and we lived in a 325 square foot studio apartment. So only newlyweds can get through that without murdering each other, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so we lived there for about six months before we were able to upscale to a 600-square-foot one-bedroom apartment in Minnesota, in Minneapolis there. And, um, but we were there for Twin Cities Pride, and, and we got to um, kind of like feel the city, but it was hard to make friends for me. And I consider myself extremely extroverted, but I found that folks who live in the Twin Cities kind of find their clique and they stay mm-hmm. with their clique and they mm-hmm. kind of travel on that clique mm-hmm. and they are very polite, but they are not warm people by by their, by their nature in some regards. But Sherry was up there primarily outside the queer community part of it, but she was doing some family research because her family comes from um, 
Wisconsin, Minnesota time, and, and there's she's got a story to tell about her uh, family history, and there's some involvement with the Minnesota State Supreme Court even, so she's got yeah. quite a story to tell there. Hmm. Um, but we moved back to Indiana, Muncie in particular, so that she could continue her Ball State career teaching in person. She had been teaching online primarily for the time after she graduated with her master's degree. And she had told me by this point in time that I had to start a business because I kept giving away my stuff for free. <laughs> She's like, you can't keep making things for free. You have to start a business. And I thought, I don't know anything about that. And she says, well, you're not allowed to make chocolate again until you start selling it in a business. And I was like, okay, Google, how do I make a business? <laughs> and, and Google says, I don't know what you're asking me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't either, Google. Just talk to Sherry. <laughs> but we moved back to Muncie thinking that, you know, it'd be a place to start. We have a social network mm-hmm. here. We could live on one income here where we could barely get by with two incomes in Minnesota. Well, yeah. It's, it's very mm-hmm. expensive to live there. Um And so we moved back at the end of 2016, right after the election results came through, and that was devastating for us. Um, But that is honestly, too, the impetus why we called ourselves Queer Chocolatier. If we're going to be in Mike Pence's home state, which is also my home state, and he's going to be elevated to the office of the vice presidency, well, then I can certainly have my business called Queer Chocolatier and hold Mm -hmm. some space. so in many ways, um, I don't think Queer Chocolatier could have happened anywhere else but here and at that time. Because um, that was just after, like, Rifra and all that stuff. It was. Yes. And that's, when, that's what Sherry, Sherry and I got married December of 15 on Monument Circle with our middle fingers in the air to Mike Pence. And we just got married. <laughs> One of my elementary school pals uh, <laughs> wedded us there in the circle. We had, I think, a couple of people there, I think seven total. And we just you know, kind of told Mike Pence where he can stick it and then got married and then walked to Basbo and had beer and pizza and that was our wedding. <laughs> there you go, hey. <laughs> but yeah, it was right after that. Doesn't have to be that big. I no, mean, no, it doesn't. Make a beer and pizza can, can, you know. Listen, a $150 wedding reception is about as good as you can get. It's a lot cheaper than chicken for 200 people and, right? you know, yeah, plates yes. and wine and everything oh, else wow. and a big yeah. old cake. No kidding. Yes. No cake. But yeah, so that was that was after Rifra, and that was, you know, mine and Sherry's marriage is very political, and um, we're not afraid of that, and both of us are ready to be scrappy when necessary to, to make the point, and, but also, you know, same-sex marriage is not the end goal for anybody in the queer community either. I mean, we have a lot of folk who have considerably more challenging material mm-hmm. conditions, mm-hmm. and that's where I try and remain my focus as much mm-hmm. as I can, too. Yeah. So that's how I started Queer Chocolatier, and it's kind of what led me there. Um, and so I rambled, but here's my story. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's the intro. Yes. It's the intro. So now that y'all are good and warmed up, It's the right? prequel. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so now here we are, the Fellowship of the Rings. So uh, um, the uh, when my grandparents passed away, my, my grandma passed away in 2002, which was the year I graduated college. She did get to see me graduate, which was very important to me. And then in 2004, my grandpa passed away. That was the year I estranged myself from my mother. Um, She had been in and out of jail. She tended to um, take any money that I had. She wanted uh, Mm -hmm. access to easy cash at all times, basically. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the the road she chose in life. And uh, with my grandparents no longer around to be a buffer, Mm -hmm. I created space to make that buffer. Um, I've only seen her once in the last 18 years, and it was in... 2010 when my great-grandmother passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, We were both at the funeral for that. 
But after my grandparents passed away, my aunt became very consumed by Ancestry.com, Family Tree, 23andMe, and she really Mm -hmm. wanted to know more about her family, which is my family, of course, too, but um, her passion was much deeper than mine because I always had this mystery about, I don't know who my dad is. Mm -hmm. And there's no Mm -hmm. real way to know since we have no clues, no data to go from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, when Sherry and I moved back to Muncie in uh, the end of 2016, my aunt, well-meaningfully, gave me a 23andMe kit for my Christmas present, which I just let collect dust until the following summer. And it was only the fact of thinking, well, maybe I could get, like, some, you know, medical information from this, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, my uh, dad's side of the family all dropped dead at the age of 40 from some disease, I might want to have a heads up. And so, Not a bad that, idea. That, <laughs> Not a bad idea. So I went ahead and submitted my sample, and then in September of 2017, I got the results, and you know, you log on and you look to see this information, and it's all colorful and vibrant and interesting and what have you, and I see my aunt's information, and, you know, I share 25% of her DNA, because that's Mm -hmm. how it works, Uh, and she's, you know, 98.9% Northern European, you know, the Roddies come from basically County Donegal in Ireland, and we have some English in us as well, and Mm -hmm. my grandmother's maiden name is Madewell, which is the last name my wife is going to be taking whenever she changes her name. Um, and that part of the family is very English and makes sense. Mm-hmm. All that comes together. Mm-hmm. It all checks out. But then I look at my results and I'm like 52% European. I'm like, oh, this is a curveball. Uh-huh. Let's, <laughs> let's learn more 23andMe. <laughs> yes. And it says, you know, and this, this, these percentages change as they get more of their data in. But it says that I'm about 49% um, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, more specifically, in the region of like Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, or Jordan. I'm like, okay, well, mm. this is interesting. Okay. I have a little bit of a swarthiness to me, maybe. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. But it's like, I look very much like my mom's family. So it never really became an area of interest or curiosity for me. It was just like this unanswerable question. So it became just kind of a, a tidbit to know about myself that I don't mm-hmm. know anything about myself. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And, this is just neat information that I have nothing to do with. And, you know, maybe my dad came from this part of the world and, and that's kind of, that's all there is to mm-hmm. it. Um, medical information seems fine. <laughs> so well, that's so good. apparently there's nothing that's out to get me like in the immediate. <laughs> so that's good. No heart attacks. Nothing right. Nothing down the pike, at least that I know of. Nothing, nothing not chocolate related coming at me. <laughs> so um, New Year's Day this year, though, I got a message on 23andMe from a young person named Lavisa Eskandar, and I thought this is a name that I'm not familiar with, and I went to the Googles and looked up the name, and Eskandar is um, an Arabic version of Alexander. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so mm-hmm. now I know where this name kind of comes from roughly, and Eskandar is prevalent in Iran. Uh, I was like, okay, roughly same area of the world, mm-hmm. okay. And um, the picture of the person on Instagram, match the person on Facebook. I'm like, okay, if this is a deep fake and I'm an old person getting scammed, at least they've done their part. <laughs> like, they've, they've done their research. Cover they, their bases. They've yeah. actually created some interesting things that tell a story, right? So I went ahead and opened the message and started reading a little bit more about it. And this young person introduces herself. She's 20. She uh, lives in Toronto, Canada. And she's asking me if I have any information about my dad's side of the family because we, she and I might be related. 
and uh, proceeds to give me some of her history, and I thought this was really kind of exciting, right? Mm -hmm. So I reply back pretty quickly, and I was like, well, I'm really sorry to let you know I don't know my dad's side of family at all. Um, But I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'm 42. I live in Muncie, Indiana, United States. Uh, I've been married to my wife for a little over six years. I run a business called Queer Chocolatier. Feel free to keep in touch with me, you know, what have you. And she writes back, because I, I put that very forward, right? Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. It, strangers should know who I am very quickly. Just because I, again, it's kind of not necessarily a screening tool, but kind of a screening tool. I, I'm i hoping they're just testing. I heard some people out there. <laughs> there are some alarm people out there. I yes. Think. Okay. Yes, so, they're doing tests. Yes, okay. Okay. The sidewalk <laughs> has had a fire alarm, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's like um, putting myself out there can be a screening tool in some regard to make sure that um, how are people going to respond to me when they mm-hmm. know the fullness of who I am. She wrote back very quickly and said, oh, that's really cool that I have a cousin in the United States that has a chocolate business and is queer because I have a cousin here who's queer and loves chocolate. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so great. Small world now. Small world. And then she, like, I see uh, a few um, notifications on my phone pop up and I have three Escandars following me on Instagram now. And it's like, it's just kind of oh, neat wow. how this happens. That is and, awesome. But we, we kind of start to interact and have some conversation. And she shares with me that... Her great-grandpa's cousin is quite possibly, like, my great-grandpa. Or my grandpa, because we're a generation off. Okay. So Mm -hmm. my grandpa is related to her great-grandpa, like, cousins Mm -hmm. in some way. And the reason that they have lost touch with that side of the family is because they all lived in northeastern Turkey during the Armenian Genocide. Mm. And so my side of the family uh, was part of who escaped and immigrated to America, some other parts of the family escaped and immigrated to Sweden, mm-hmm. um, and and her own family um, lived for a while in um, Sweden. That's why her name's Lavisa. She says that she has a Swedish name, and her mom, who's probably within you know ten years of my own age, right? Um, she lived there after having immigrated from Syria, um, and then moved to Toronto from Sweden, and then Lavisa is born in Toronto. Um, and, you know, she shares with me that, um, you know, her grandpa or her great grandpa was only 16 when all of that happened and they lost all sorts of contact, one, because they, they completely left, Mm -hmm. but also to not continue contact because that could make you a target Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they, she continued to tell me that this part of our family not only was a part of the or surviving the Armenian genocide, but she said that also our family is indigenous to that part of the world where Aramean and Assyrian. And I'm like, holy cow, I'm like, I'm biblical, baby, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> For a person who's unchurched, I certainly know those ner- those names of <laughs> people, right? Yeah. So that, that somehow was just really, uh, you know, it's hard to put this to words, and I'll do my best, but somehow I felt very completed by hearing these mm. these pieces of information. You know, it's something I never would have had, and I'll still never know my dad, because she doesn't know him, and I don't know him, and there's not really a bridge in between us in that regard. But Unless he decides to get on 23 and me. That would be the only way. Mm-hmm. And that's if he still exists, and, you know, what have you. So there's, there's a lot of slim chances to make that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have... Um, I now have family in Toronto, and I, um, about a month ago, um, 
Lavisa and her cousin Sandra sat on one side of a Zoom screen, and I sat on the other, and we had a three-hour conversation. That's so very cool. Awesome. Yeah, so we got to chit-chatting and having fun, and my cats are jumping in the conversation. <laughs> Maybe my well, wife that's sharing. what cats do. Cats, cats know do exactly that. when Zoom is on. That is their moment to shine. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and they met Sherry for a little while, and I met their mom for a little while, and um, they said that, you know, they can speak and hear Arabic but they can't write it. And I was like, this is kind of funny. Or they can't read it either. And I was like, this is kind of funny. Because I just started Duolingo and I'm doing Arabic. And I can't speak it because I don't have like some of the you know, vocal the framework. Roll, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I can read a lot of it now from having done it for a few months. And they're like, oh, we'll be able to like teach each other Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's just, it's just really fascinating that you know, after that conversation, it felt like a really big warm hug because I'm now being embraced by people I never knew existed and, and were kin. Um, and I felt very lonely growing up as an only child and by a mom who wasn't really very present and by a non-existent dad and grandparents who worked, but they can only do so much, you know, and now it's kind of interesting that I, you know, I have a much bigger family than I ever thought. Do you plan to, uh, yep. actually get together? Yeah, we're actually hopefully, uh, the first weekend in August, I'm going to see if I can take like a three day weekend up to Toronto. Awesome. Very yeah, nice. Go visit very cool. Them. Yeah. So it's going to be really neat to get to know them, and um, they're excited to take me around Toronto. And uh, There's you know, lots of good restaurants. Oh, yeah. Mm. Tons of good food. And Toronto is a fairly queer-friendly city, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like it this is. is going to be a really nice place to meet family, be authentic, get to know them, get to eat tons of food, as we said, because that mm-hmm. is really my primary motivation in life is to where can I go and eat? <laughs> I'm sure they've got good restaurants they in Toronto. Have, yeah. They yes. have. All, I mean, it's... Yeah. One of the most multicultural cities there is in North America. and mm-hmm. I mean, there will be, I could probably find anything I could ever ask mm-hmm. for there. So uh, I will probably be fasting for a week before I drive up there. <laughs> Just stuff my American face while I'm there. <laughs> Take some chocolate with you. Yes. Yeah. She'll be that American. Right? I will be that American. Absolutely will be. It's funny because my wife has traveled internationally to like, oh, I think she's been to pretty close to 20 different countries by now. And I've been to Canada twice, and that's all of my <laughs> international travels. And uh, Toronto was one of them. I did go to Toronto uh, in 2018, which is kind of ironic too. That I, you know, I don't know how I didn't bump into my cousins then. I mean, obviously, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it'll be very exciting to go up there and uh, try to be that American again if I can. But I did tell them obviously I would be bringing them chocolate. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Got to take that wonderful chocolate. Well, thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yes. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to tell that story about how I started to just recently, even at the age of 42, start to learn more and more about myself. You're never fully baked. You know, you're, you can keep growing and keep learning and keep changing and adapting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, uh, I don't know, it keeps me very um, oriented toward the future to think that there's still going to be more things about myself to learn. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, what do you think is some of your options in the future besides you know, now you have some family yeah. to get to know. Absolutely. What else do you see happening? Oof, I don't know. If you ask me on a tough day right now with the way the, the business is kind of coming down to an end, you, you'll see me despondent, not seeing uh, much of a future. Yeah. But if you ask me after I've had a little bite of chocolate here and there and get those endorphins, you know, the world's my oyster. I can pivot and... I'm a Sagittarius, so I'm used to change, and I love that. And mm-hmm. uh, this, I mean, honestly, this this job of owning Queer Chocolatier has been my longest job because you heard the date range. I worked as a stockbroker. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been now almost five years with Queer Chocolatier, so this has been the longest job I've held down. Um, 
And so I do want to remain, if I can find a way to make QC still work, that's, that's my priority. But if I have to step away from that and, and close that chapter and move on to the next one, I'm still passionate about food. And we have that in common, Lucky. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, there's always you know, ways to make impact on, on that type of um, landscape within our community and beyond. And sometimes I want to flex those muscles that I did you know, when I was in school. You know, I did a lot of research on this and how can I leverage that in the community. And sometimes I have political ambitions too. Maybe I want to run for city council. Maybe I want to... Um, you know, even be somewhere breaking up the supermajority in the state house at some point. And, um, you know, I, I have lots of big dreams. It's just a matter of which ones I kind of sit down and commit to at some point. Yeah. And how long you stay in Muncie? You mentioned earlier the possibility of going mm-hmm. back to the Twin Cities. Oh, Sherry would do that really soon if she could. But she's enrolled in an EDD program, so she's going to be at Ball State for at least another four years pursuing that, mm-hmm. that doctoral degree herself. So... We'll be here for a little while, I'm sure, and, you know, it's not like we're packing our bags and heading out tomorrow, and Muncie always has a way of calling you back anyway. So. Well, they say you have to take a jar, a yes, ball jar. a ball jar specifically. Specifically, and put dirt in it, Muncie dirt. Yep. Or you will come back. Otherwise, I've never heard this. Oh, yeah, I've heard this several times, and I've told people since I've heard it, because once if you have this ball jar of dirt with you, tuck it away in a corner somewhere, it's fine. Uh, Muncie then doesn't think you've left. So this is one of those things, kind of like you know the way the White River brand. That's why there's never been a uh, tornado. Right. Um, Except this one's more true. Now, does that apply if you're not originally from here? I don't know. That, I haven't read the fine print, that. but uh, I'm just I'm just asking. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. But I mean, it's funny. I don't know. You're not really in Muncie. You're out there in Yorktown. That, ooh. Oh, okay, you know, like, like I always, I always try to explain to people that was the property that was available. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't choose Yorktown. It just happened to be the place I ended up. Yeah. I don't have that much love for Yorktown. Believe me. Uh-huh. And technically, my address is Muncie. Yeah, it is kind of weird how it, that is out that way. You jump my fence, you're in Yorktown. Yeah. My back fence. But mm-hmm. my street is technically Muncie. Technically. It's four seven three zero four. So yeah, that's my zip code. Yeah, so yeah, I guess okay, yeah. fine, Kelly. You've made your point. <laughs> you know, well, I'm on that little sliver yeah. that says I'm still Muncie. Yeah. But what's interesting that all three of us are we're not originally from no. Muncie, and that is so much of what I see in this town. There's yeah. you know so many of some of us have been here really because of Ball State. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Be able to call not only Muncie but Indiana home yeah. is some. It's easier probably for you, Morgan, because yeah. you're born and raised here. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a Buckeye, oh, born gosh. and raised there. I hate that I, more than Yorktown, actually. I, <laughs> Boo! Well, you know, I, I always, I always, I always tell people, you know, you know, it, somebody say I, I saw somebody say something about uh, how bad uh, Ohio was, and and I said, I know people who live in Indiana. That came from Ohio. Ohio must be horrible if they came to Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> we came because of the job. Yeah. yeah. Sure, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, they, they, but then again, I always get the typical question when I tell people I came from California. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why would you why, that why did you leave yeah. California? Yeah. Or or I get the, the more political question. I get that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, like when I lived in Texas... Uh, I would ask some of the 
Austin folk. I'm like, what do you think about me being here? Because they were always concerned about people constantly daily moving mm -hmm. into Austin. And mm -hmm. they're like, well, we don't care so much about you moving in as much as we do Californians buying property with cash. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they told me the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee is a damn Yankee stays. <laughs> so I'm just That's a Yankee, right. also it's okay. But that was, I mean, That's right. to Marky's point, like you know, none of us here sitting at this microphone are from Muncie. But this is my second time back in Muncie. Yeah. I, it was, it's our second time too. <laughs> like, we, we went here for grad school. I left, and then we came back, and now I'm like, if I leave a third, like another time, I will have that. But you're both tied to the college. Yes. yes. See, I'm not tied to the yeah. college. Yeah. I came here because I didn't want to live in a large city any longer. Sure. And yeah, we knew yeah. people that lived here, so we said, okay, well, let's go there, yep. you know? Yeah. And yeah. now we've been here for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I met someone a few years ago who was seeing Muncie as just, just some place to stop for a while oh, because no. they wanted to go to Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. That was the place to go. Sure. So much out there to do. Oh, yeah. So many opportunities but the longer they stay here mm. the more they realize that well portland is sort of well it's kind of elitist to some, sure for some it people it's expensive mm -hmm. yes it has wonderful restaurants oh, it's, it's and, very gentrified in a lot of right, places right it too. has a, you know and, it, and it's very uh, uh progressive in a lot of things mm -hmm. but, but it's also got a lot of right-wing extremist uh, yes, groups in do. portland yes, as they well do. They do. and but Muncie had opportunities to that they could see their skills being used, yep. their interest in social justice, mm -hmm. yep. where that was already been done yeah. in Portland, yeah. and yep. they weren't going to be able to have an impact. Yep. And so they saw, no, Muncie, Muncie's my Portland yes. right now, and, and I think that's true for a lot of us. It it's is. That. We we have that uh, big fish, small pond mm -hmm. uh, capability here, and it's not even necessarily that we're big fish, but we we. A lot of us swim in a very tight-knit school. Mm -hmm. Like, we can mm -hmm. make things happen in Muncie, and mm -hmm. our impact can be more directly seen and felt. And I, you know, again, if I had made my business Morgan's Chocolates, it would be the same product. It would be still me. People would still get to know me. But it wouldn't be the same as what Queer Chocolatier mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I mean, if I'd been in the Twin Cities as Queer Chocolatier, I mean, I'd be, like, probably one of a dozen right. kind of similar type right. of thing mm -hmm. from Portland, same way. Mm -hmm. I'd be, again, like a small fish in a bigger yep. pond. But here, like, especially in, you know, Mike Pence's, you know, district, whenever he was a representative, and then his brother's district while he was, and it's, it's, it means something different here, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grateful that I came back to, to do this. And your place is been a real safe haven for folks, especially young queers. Oh, yeah. It's been a sober place. Yep. Um, and these kind of places are necessary, especially yeah. for our kids. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. that is one of the things that I think uh, your impact has been. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's very important to have a welcoming, affirming place sure. for people to be in a community, like you were saying, in the Midwest, yep. mm -hmm. being someone who is queer. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to, because of the fact that there is that religious bullshit yep. that just gets in the way and mistreats people mm -hmm. simply because a because they think God wants them to. Right. Um uh so but yeah for me I know for me it's like it's been a huge change or a huge like I I came from Southern California which is you know some parts are pretty fairly progressive. Sure, sure. Um but the thing that always caught me about Muncie, because we're talking about Muncie, mm -hmm. is 
the community aspect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first people I ever met was Jason Donati. Mm-hmm. And we all know Jason. Um, Jason is very community-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, and that caught my attention. That's how I got to meet a lot of people. Yeah. Um, was just being in that 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 area and just the importance of being involved in your community Very much so. being a part that's something i never learned in a larger city because yeah. in a larger city you're kind of disconnected yeah. mm-hmm. you're kind of disconnected you might have like that sort of like neighborhood area that you kind of are part of sure. but not to the same extent that you are a part of the entire town like you yeah. are here in muncie yeah. um and one of the questions um I know that you have a you and uh, Sherry have a great relationship with uh, former pod alumni uh, Robert. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and, and I know he's he's a Lutheran pastor, yeah, and yep. you know, and you don't really have a religious background. How does that? You know, does that? <laughs> it does, and it's so funny because the the woman who owned the duplexes um, that Robert and I and Sherry and, and Robert's wife Carrie uh, lived in, her name's Lisa. Um, Lisa has been um, a strong mentor for Sherry for many years and was, was her boss and then became our landlord and then became actually, a, she's a minority investor in our business, in fact. So we're very enmeshed with Lisa. Love her very dearly. Um, so uh, Sherry tells Lisa while we're still in Minneapolis and we're planning our trip to return back to Muncie, hey, we're looking to move back to Muncie. If you could maybe keep an eye out for some housing for us. And Lisa's like, well, I actually have a vacant duplex unit if you're, if you're interested in being there. And Sherry's like, well, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, Lisa says, well, the other side's occupied. Okay, who's, who's the other side? Well, his name's Robert. Okay, big guy, beard, Lutheran pastor, drives a truck, loves guns. I'm like, oh, oh, what? what are we getting into here? <laughs> and... Uh, we, uh, Sherry and I loaded up our, again, proverbial U-Haul, and we moved from Minneapolis to Muncie, and it was uh, Halloween weekend, and we had... Oh, that's his weekend, too. <laughs> So this is going to be a choice introduction, right? So we... It was funny, because Carrie actually reminded me of this story. I kind of, you know, obviously us moving, there was just stress from the move, but, like, whenever Carrie and Robert and I and Sherry had gotten together not long ago, Carrie recounted the story, and it cracked me up, so I'll share it with you here, too. But um, our intention was to load, like, unload the U-Haul into our garage as like storage for the month before we could take possession of that unit in December. So the month of November, Sherry and I traveled the country and went to Hawaii and traveled back, and, and it was you know a lovely time and all that. But it was Halloween weekend, and we had rolled up in this big you know 27-foot U-Haul. <laughs> and we get out of the truck and we're starting to unload things. I look across the, the driveway area and I see these two costumed people. <laughs> and they are chasing a rabbit, a pet rabbit, <laughs> that had gotten out. And I'm just like, what the hell are we doing moving here? <laughs> and and I, don't, I can't even remember what their costumes were. I think they, Carrie would be able to remember for sure. But it was like, cool, this, this is going to be a nice environment to, to live in here. And, it was just kind of wild because, yeah, since Robert and Carrie both are just amazing horror fans, and I was just like, this is, this is going to be wild. When we did finally come back in December and settled in, you know, we started to get to know them a little bit, and it was fine. And um, <laughs> we, we ended up, you know, bonding very quickly. And Sherry actually is very much more of that typical uh, queer person who had religious trauma where I don't have it. So she and Robert would have religious conversations that would have a different kind of um, tone and tenor to it, and then Robert and I would talk about religion 
uh, and kind of, I guess you'd almost think more like an academic approach. Mm -hmm. Like I, mm -hmm. I find it curious and I find mm -hmm. it interesting mm -hmm. and it's my sociological kind of mindset thinking and he answers lots of questions and he asks me lots of questions. And um, so our, like I say, he's like my big little brother. He's much taller than me, but he's about a year younger than me. So, <laughs> um, but it was funny because after Sherry and I moved from the duplex into our new home, um, it was like a few months later that he and Carrie moved into their um, parsonage, and I was helping them move because he helped us obviously move with his truck because that's what that's what guys, you do with the yeah. truck. Guys, the trucks. But you've got right? a truck. You you were obligated. Yeah, right. you signed that in the fine print and the leasing agreement. <laughs> um, but we're helping him move, and uh, he's asking me to carry some stuff or whatever. And I see these two two bags that have some of his firearms in there. And, got one each arm and I was like well this is probably the most I've ever supported the second amendment <laughs> he lost his mind he thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard me say <laughs> and I'm just walking around with two long guns in my arms and I'm like oh here we are this is, this is what my life is now, I guess. so yeah Robert uh, being being uh, we, we used to do what we'd call family dinners where the four of us mm -hmm. would go out to have beer and wings at Savages and We'll still get together, and, and Sherry likes horror movies. I am the standout who does not. I am not a fan of it at all. So, like, I'll be playing with Puka, and the three of them will be talking about horror movies, and I'll be like, I'm just going to be over here talking to this little Yorkshire. <laughs> Hanging out. I'm not going to involve in all this. But, yeah. Uh, and, the, like, he's kind of, again, like one of those first you know, community people I got to know. Mm -hmm. um, started meeting some folk with the university pretty quick. Um some folks at the mark um and you know to the point of like what my business does you know providing a queer sober safe space and the mark three being here being indiana's oldest mm -hmm. continuing run gay bar um young people find out themselves much more um you know younger and, mm -hmm. and younger as far as their orientations and identities and expressions and if they don't have anywhere to go that's a third space that's not home or school and they can't get into a gay bar because they're not old enough, where do they go? Well, it ended up that, you know, Queer Chocolatier could provide that that space for them, and that was that was pretty remarkable. And they're, mm -hmm. that's the reason that we ended up being a sober space is because young queer people need places to go. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, and this is no shade to outreach, but, like, to make it somewhere that's, like, a place to go just because, not a place to go because you're seeking a particular service. Just kind of hang out. Yeah. 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 So... Um, but yeah, meeting Robert was kind of like our first our first Muncie friend, and then we kind of started trickling out from there. And, and to that point of what Muncie Muncie means community to me, even if we move from here and mm -hmm. I, I have that jar of dirt with me and I never come back, I will always cut, like it's the it's the measuring stick by which mm -hmm. I'll measure any other community by. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Mun Muncie is. Uh, Better than I thought it would be. There, 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 there were my, there were, we're there were. On the tourism stickers now. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have, I still have my strong opinions of certain aspects. Oh sure. Um, yeah. Oh sure. But there are certain parts that, uh, you know, I've met some amazing people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I probably met more amazing people here than I think I ever did in California. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and the thing, to your points of the things that you may or may not like about Muncie, you can have a greater impact on those things. Exactly. And that's exactly. Important. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah. that's that's one of the things that is amazing about this town. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. so your thank you, Mayor. Uh, you are thank you. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Um, yes. Anyway, um, oh. like I said, I can certainly spin a yarn. So I hope that was entertaining enough for you. Oh, I I appreciate it. I mean, uh, yeah. you definitely did uh, 
fill up uh, the, yep. the we're, we're at 50 minutes here uh, oh, so that's pretty awesome. That's, that's it's a great story appreciate it <laughs> thank you very much um, yeah. I mean the journey is just incredible yeah. um, to, to hear the you know just where you've been and the people who've been in your life and how they impacted you and yeah. then what doors open because of certain decisions that you make yeah. and yeah and just generally the people that we meet in life really do have more of an impact than, than we sometimes think. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. Some of them stick around even longer in our lives and keep doing that. Other times it's just a very short period of time. Just to kind yep. of shift your perspective for a mm-hmm. moment. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. And just remaining open to that. And that's that's kind of what my life has been like, is just I basically have remained open to all those possibilities and, and not being afraid to step through doors when they open mm-hmm. and um, trying to have the attitude of yes and. and because, I mean, so far as I understand, I haven't found any evidence to the contrary. I think we just get one trip on this rock, and I want to make the most of it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's a great perspective to have. It is. So. Thank you. It is. Back to telling me how wonderful I am as you do your <laughs> I mean, uh, this has been a, uh, a conversation. i listening to uh, Morgan Roddy, uh, the queer chocolatier, uh, and it has... Uh, been amazing. Thank you. Uh, you are amazing. Well, thank you. Keep going. Um, it's been great to have you here. So glad you were able to work out a schedule for us. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, when we were down in the kitchen, I'm kind of glad we didn't stay down there because of the trouble. smell yeah, of the chocolate. It would have been very oh, torturous. It would have interrupted this conversation. We, 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 would, we would have said, <laughs> So, is there anything ready? <laughs> um. Yep. Yeah. So, no, definitely appreciate spending time with thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Kelly. I'm yes, it was, it, was, it was great to be able to talk to you. Yeah. Um, I know we've met for coffee one other time. Um, but, uh, yes, and, of course, hi, Sherry. Uh, <laughs> I talked to Sherry one other time. Uh, Sherry, Sherry's awesome yes. as well. You're, you're an awesome couple. Yeah, we do pretty mm-hmm. good so, together, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but um, anyway, this has been Sidewalk Monastery. Uh, be back in a week or two with another episode. Uh, We've got some things lined up that we're going to be doing, um, and we'll talk to you again. Very soon. All right. Thank you. Stay hydrated. That's right. Exactly. (laughs)